Governor Ron DeSantis has officially entered the 2024 GOP presidential race. The announcement was by most measures a success. It garnered lots of attention. It raised a bunch of money. And even the tech glitches can be spun in a positive way. The announcement broke the internet sort of thing. Uh, We'll get to all of that. First though, I want to get to Trump's response, which was to post a parody video of Ron DeSantis hanging out with George Soros, Klaus Schwab, the FBI, Adolf Hitler, and the devil himself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our Ron DeSantis Twitter space. Hello. Is my microphone working correctly? Pretty decent. Wait, while we fake AI voices. Can you hear me? We can all hear you, George. Can you just hold on for a second? Elon, the host. Dick Cheney's there. Okay, so how are we going to take out Trump, you guys? Uh, uh, guys from the FBI, this is not a private call. This is a public Twitter space. Everyone can listen in. Damn it. Everyone just shut the hell up so I can make my announcement, okay? You go, girl. Wait, the devil is gay? So what? Everyone in this call is gay. I think it goes on from there. I think you generally get the idea. I do not know if the 2024 primary is going to be the nastiest in history, as some people have suggested. But I am pleased to report that it is currently on track to be the funniest. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at Good Ranchers. Get great meat at a secure price and save 20% off site-wide with my code Knowles. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, today. Rosie O'Donnell, of all people, speaking of Trump politics, Rosie O'Donnell, of all people, has become a voice of reason on the issue of transgenderism. We'll get to that in a little bit. First, though, want to want to touch a little bit more on this DeSantis announcement. DeSantis did it in this call, this Twitter spaces with Elon Musk, and there were some tech glitches, and it was a little bit flat. Uh, you know, if I had to be critical of the announcement, I would say there wasn't a ton of energy. It, it obviously just lacked the enthusiasm that a live event could generate. That said, it's not a total knock on DeSantis. President Trump's announcement for his 2024 campaign also was kind of flat. Uh, Tim Scott's recent announcement, the microphone broke. I'm not convinced that presidential campaign announcements really matter at all. Do you remember any of them? I vaguely remember Obama's. I, Reagan, 1980, I kind of remember at the Statue of Liberty. Nobody really remembers these things. It doesn't really matter. The question is, can they go the distance? There was a deeply, perhaps pregnant, meaningful moment during the Twitter spaces where as people poured in and it started to glitch a little bit, the the screen said, preparing to launch. And that's the question. Ron DeSantis has been preparing to launch his campaign for a very long time now, for years. Everyone has known that he's going to run for president. There's been a lot of hype. There's been hype from conservatives. There's been hype from establishmentarians. There's been hype from anti-Trumpers. There's even been hype from people who are pro-Trump or who were pro-Trump but don't think he can win in 2024. So there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of expectations from a lot of different people. And some of those expectations are going to be contradictory. So we've seen a lot of preparation to launch. Now what matters is how does the campaign do now that it is out in the open? Can DeSantis withstand the Trump meat grinder? 
Donald Trump seemed like a pig just rolling around in the happiest, most wonderful mud and muck. This is a family show, so I'll clean up the language that you could imagine yesterday. As DeSantis is doing the launch, he's just cracking jokes and he's posting videos of Klaus Schwab and Hitler and the devil. And he is posting all sorts of little truth social one-liners. One of them was, quote, Tim Scott's presidential launch, even with the broken microphone, don't pay the contractor, Tim, was by far the best presidential launch of the week. Rob's was a catastrophe. (laughs) And there's a lot, just from a pure comedy composition perspective, there is so much there. So he says, oh yeah, Tim Scott's was the best of the week. First of all, Tim Scott's presidential announcement was obviously the only other one of the week. He starts mentioning that Tim Scott's microphone cut out and then gives him advice not to pay his campaign contractor. But then the funniest part is he refers to Ron DeSantis, someone who everyone knows, we all know what his name is, as Rob. And this is a tactic that is used by men when they're trying to pick up a girl and maybe that girl has a boyfriend and maybe that girl is seeing somebody and you go up and you say, oh yeah, hey, Sheila. Yeah. Oh man, we're looking nice today. Yeah. We should, uh, we should get a drink sometime. Hey, how's Mark doing? And Sheila will hear this and say, oh, actually, you know, my boyfriend's name is Matt. And you, you say, oh yeah, whatever. And then you move on, right? It's a, it's a way to belittle somebody and to disrespect somebody. And Trump is doing it in this extremely officious way. Yeah, Rob DeSantis. And there's a play on words because he's going to accuse DeSantis of robbing the nomination or trying to rob the nomination from Trump or robbing his mannerisms or personality or something like that. So DeSantis's announcement came off pretty much as expected. Trump's reaction certainly came off as expected. What do we make of that? All in all, it was pretty good for DeSantis. Uh, There's one weak spot right now, which is on foreign policy. DeSantis, after the Twitter space, went on Trey Gowdy's show on Fox News, and uh, DeSantis explained what his views are vis-a-vis Ukraine. Or maybe he didn't quite explain those views. You uh, wore the uniform. If you are elected president, you may be the first one in a while uh, to have worn the uniform. How would you address the ongoing war in Eastern Europe between Russia and Ukraine on day one of a Ron DeSantis presidency? Well, first, I think what we need to do as a veteran is recognize that our our military uh, has become politicized. Uh, You talk about gender ideology. You talk about things like global warming that they're somehow concerned. And that's not the military that I served in. We need to return our military uh, to focusing on uh, commitment, focusing on the core values and the core mission. That would be something that I could take care of on day one. Uh, There'll be a new sheriff in town as commander in chief. And I think you'll see recruiting start to get back to where it needs to be because people don't want to join a woke military. And I think it's been really, really problematic. Look, in terms of what's going on over in Eastern Europe, um, you know, I'd like to see a a settlement of this. I do not want to see a wider war. I think it's completely unknowable what it will look like in January of 2025. Uh, But I would not want to see the United States with our troops uh, get enmeshed uh, in a war in Russia or in Ukraine. It's a hard question on a hard topic that most voters don't generally base their presidential decisions on. Most voters are basing their decisions on domestic policy. And so 
Governor DeSantis here is trying to pivot the question from this thorny issue of Ukraine, which splits the GOP, onto this issue of wokeness in the military. But wokeness in the military obviously has nothing to do with the policy of the president vis-a-vis Russia and Ukraine and this war that's now been expanding for over a year, a war that's really been expanding for more like eight or nine years at this point. Uh, I, I think DeSantis has to get a clearer answer on this. This issue, if, if the war continues on the trajectory that it's on, this could come to, to play a large role in the presidential campaign. And so he's going to need, I think, clearer views here. Trump, whether you love him or you hate him, has relatively clear views on these things, and they upset a lot of settled GOP orthodoxy. DeSantis has done a very, very good job in the state of Florida, but as any governor who's ever run for president knows deep down, these individual states don't have a foreign policy. So I think he's got to come up with an answer there. And uh, while he says, I don't want a wider war, I want to come to a settlement, that's good, that's the right direction. But the question is, how are you going to do that what are these specific issues that you are going to focus on? And, and furthermore, even to the way he answered the question, can he be agile? Can he be dexterous? Can he, when he doesn't want to answer a question, can he pivot in a way that's a little more subtle? Can he turn the question to something he does want to answer? Can he throw in a joke? Can he throw in a barb? Can he be fast on his feet? Whatever you want to say about Trump, whether you love him or you hate him, the guy is one of the best showmen of our age. The guy knows how to command a stage and to command a camera. DeSantis just doesn't come from that background. He's had a a very different life. Uh, And so if he's going to take Trump on, that's going to have to be something that he works on. Ron DeSantis could have the absolute best policy of any governor in the history of the United States, but he's now going to have to go toe to toe with a very persuasive, funny showbiz guy. And, and, So that's going to have to be the area that he and his team really focus on. One way to perform better and better every single day is to make sure you eat a good, strong dinner. You get that iron pumping through your body. It's why you got to check out Good Ranchers. Right now, go to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Knowles. Memorial Day is a time to honor and remember our brave servicemen and women who made the ultimate sacrifice for our country. It is also a time to come together as a nation, gather with loved ones, and enjoy some mouth-watering meals. What better way to do that than with premium 100% American meat from Good Ranchers? Good Ranchers is not like the other meat delivery companies that import a majority of their products. They are passionate about delivering the finest 100% American meat right to your doorstep. Here's something special. Good Ranchers proudly offers a 10% discount to all past and present service members as a way of saying thank you for their service. But that's not it. In honor of Memorial Day, Good Ranchers is giving our listeners an exclusive opportunity. When you use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, you can save 20% off site-wide. From tender steaks to succulent chicken, GoodRanchers.com has it all. I had the other night a juicy, delicious Good Ranchers burger, and it's, it's the best. It's the best burger out there. And the steaks are just juicy and delicious. And it's just top shelf meat, okay? Fire up the grill on Memorial Day and your family and friends will thank you for it. They will know that the meat that everyone is enjoying is not only of the highest quality, but also supports American ranchers. GoodRanchers.com. Head on over. Use code Knowles. Save 20% site-wide. The more you stock up on, the more you will save during the Memorial Day sale. Promo code Knowles at GoodRanchers.com. Good Ranchers American meat delivered. Speaking of dodging questions, Karine Jean-Pierre, White House Press Secretary, was asked a question 
about the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which is this rabidly anti-Christian, particularly anti-Catholic drag queen troupe that is being honored by the L.A. Dodgers. More like L. Gay Dodgers, if you ask me. Tip your waitress. She was asked this question because the president is at least nominally Catholic. Here's her answer. This is one that's really caught the eye of a lot of uh, Catholics and Christians, and, it's, and frankly, they're, they're hurt by this. The, the L.A. Dodgers are honoring a group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence during a Pride Night game next month. The Archdiocese of L.A., Catholic leaders there, say the group mocks the Catholic faith and women religious who serve the poor and sick and is asking all Catholics to stand against bigotry and hate in any form. The president is Catholic, we all know. What is his reaction to this story? Look, I appreciate the question, Owen. I'm just not going to get into the middle of, uh, of, of uh, who a sports team is going to uh, honor or should honor or should not honor. That's just not something that I'm going to get in the middle of. The president has made it, uh, you know, very, it's very important to him, religious freedom. He's issued statements on it in the past saying all people of all religions should be treated with equal dignity and respect. I know, I know you. You know what you said. You just, you just said there. You kind of want to stay out of it, but isn't this a prime example of something like that? I'm just not going to get in the middle of who a sports team decides to honor or not honor. That is not just not going to get in the middle of that. But appreciate the question. Oh yeah, I'm not going to get in the middle of that. We listen. We from political office, we're not going to get involved with what sports teams are doing, right? As if the entire Democratic Party didn't weigh in on the NFL kneeling white supremacy fiasco of 2016, 2017. As if Joe Biden could ever keep his mouth shut on any of these cultural issues. As if the White House didn't invite Dylan Mulvaney to come do an interview with him. Give me a break. What are you talking about? White House is always involved in these things. He just doesn't want to comment on this because it's indefensible. And yet he knows that his side is on the side of the anti-Christian drag queens. And so he, he doesn't want to put himself in a bad position where he's going to have to overtly and publicly disavow his faith in order to side with them. But he also doesn't want to defend the faith because he knows where his bread is buttered, at least in this world, it's, it's with the anti-Christians. So, so they keep their mouths shut. Okay. It is increasingly clear that we are facing an assault on Christianity and on all traditional views of society and morality and religion. Even for people who don't consider themselves Christian, you probably cherish a lot of the fruits of Christian civilization. And now all of that is under assault. So when you ask me, which candidate do I want to back in 2024? Is it Trump? Is it DeSantis? Is it Chris Christie? Don't count Chris Christie yet. Is it Vivek Ramaswamy? Is it Nikki? Is it this? Is it? I want to back the candidate that can see the assault on religion that is going on right now, the sacrilege that is going on right now, that will not merely chip away at popular piety, but will fundamentally undermine all of the most important aspects of our society. Because religion is not just some fun little hobby that people have in society, or they don't. Religion is what animates the whole society. And so if you live in a a culture that publicly mocks religion, then you're you're not going to have a very flourishing society. So which candidate am I going to go for? I'd like the candidate who can credibly propose to stop that all-out assault. 
What a ridiculous line from the White House. Oh, it's just some little sports team thing, right? Sports is public. This is the team of the city, the LA Dodgers. Public sports have always had a patriotic component. They tell us a lot about what our culture believes, what our political order is going to be. Of course, we've got to be involved. If sports weren't political, the LA Dodgers wouldn't be honoring a sacrilegious drag troupe. Of course, it's political. And you're going to keep your mouth shut because the politics is going in your direction and you don't want to upset that. I want a Republican presidential candidate who's willing to upset that. Some Republicans are doing this sort of thing. In Montana, they just banned Drag Queen Story Hour. One of the biggest fights on the right among movement conservatives and conservative intellectuals and the activist class, not necessarily the rank and file, card-carrying Republican voter, but the the people who are setting the agenda for what the party believes. One of the biggest fights six, seven years ago was over Drag Queen Story Hour. And you had the liberal Republicans like David French, who's now just become a liberal. Now he's an, a columnist for the New York Times. David French said, Drag Queen Story Hour is a blessing of liberty. Our constitution gives us that beautiful right to jiggle around in stilettos for kids in the library or whatever. And then you had the conservative conservatives who came out and said, no, there's no right to Drag Queen Story Hour. If James Madison ever thought this were in the constitution, he'd be rolling over in his grave. That's obviously not real. And, and that was a big battle. Well, if we have freedom of speech, we need to have weirdo guys jiggling around for children. Um, no, that's actually not what freedom of speech is. Freedom of speech involves all sorts of limits and taboos and standards, and we're not going to do that. Okay, well, Montana is saying the conservatives won. We're going to ban Drag Queen Story Hour. Uh, Governor Greg Gianforte signed HB 359. Over half the state ledge co-sponsored the bill. It bars minors from attending sexually oriented shows, says a school or library that receives any form of funding from the state may not allow a sexually oriented performance or drag story hour on its premises during regular operating hours or at any school sanctioned extracurricular activity goes on. There can be uh, punishments, obviously, against the people who violate this. And then the legislator behind the law came out and was totally clear even if the law weren't totally clear, and it's, it's pretty precise, he says there is no such thing as a family-friendly drag show, which is of course true, and everybody knew that until a few years ago. You want to go see a, a drag show, go into this seedy part of town with the red lights and the dodgy characters, go to Greenwich Village or something if you're in New York, but don't go to Coney Island, but don't, you're not going to do that at an elementary school, and you're not going to do that at a library. That's great news. Keep it up, Montana. Some Republicans are squishing on this, though. On even more urgent issues than the drag story hour, Louisiana, the home state of my maternal grandfather. I've got some Louisiana in me. I'm very sad to say that one of my family heritage states just blocked a bill to outlaw transing the kids. And it wasn't a Democrat who blocked the bill. It was a Republican. This Republican state senator, Fred Mills, just joined Democrats in a five to four vote. So it's the decisive vote on the Health and Welfare Committee to block the advancement of a bill that would have been, that would have banned using cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, and surgery to alter a minor's appearance in an attempt to validate a minor's perception of his sex if the minor's perception is inconsistent with his sex. With Republicans like Fred Mills, who needs Democrats, I know that Fred Mills' office his, his phone number is available online on the Louisiana state government website. I, I would strongly encourage con, 
concerned Louisianans and, and Senator Mills's constituents to call his office and express your view, and of course, a polite and just way, uh, that it is unacceptable to defend transing the kids. What kind of a psycho does that? What kind of a sick person does that? The answer to that question would probably be a Democrat <laughs> or a liberal. But in this case, Fred Mills is a Republican. And with Republicans like this, truly, there is no need for Democrats. This Republican primary is going to be a clarifying experience. That's why I'm generally pro-primary, is because it forces candidates to take clearer positions on these sorts of issues. And some issues we can be, be a little conciliatory on. Some issues have to be very, very clear. Any Republican that defends transing the kids is a far left radical liberal and should be given no quarter, should not receive a single Republican vote ever, should not receive a single penny from any conservative, and his government office should receive lots of phone calls from concerned constituents. Now, if you're, if you're maybe in this this extremely confused state senator's district, you're probably going to want to move out of town. You know, you're probably going to want to go to a district with decent political leadership. When you want to move anywhere, when you want to just get in your car, go for a ride, you got to check out CarZing. Right now, go to CarZing.com slash Knowles. Buying a new car can be a stressful experience for everyone, especially if you're a first-time buyer or if you have no credit. Before you walk into a dealership and spend the whole day with the crowds and the stress and the potential that you won't even find the right car, you got to check out CarZing. CarZing is completely changing the way that you buy a car online. By partnering with credit agencies, lenders, and over 25,000 dealers nationwide, CarZing provides you with everything you need before stepping foot into a dealership. You can instantly pre-qualify online without affecting your credit score, get instant financing details, including what your down payment would be, your monthly payment term, and APR, putting you several steps ahead of other buyers. Once you find the right car at your ideal budget, all you have to do is bring your saved deal voucher with you to the dealership to finalize your next ride. Super simple. Even if you're not in the market for a new car, check out CarZing anyway. Browse your dream cars. See what they have to offer for when you are ready to buy. CarZing helps make your experience faster, cheaper, and less stressful. Go to CarZing.com slash Knowles today. Skip the guesswork and find the best deals for you. CarZing.com slash Knowles. Seems as if fewer and fewer of us are on the same page when it comes to the fundamentals these days. And this is obviously a huge problem when it comes to our relationship to each other and our relationship to God. It's not a new phenomenon. The consequences of this disunity date all the way back to the time of Moses. Just listen to what Jordan Peterson has to say about it in Exodus. There's an irony here that for all the insistence upon equality, the very foundation for that equality in Western culture, i.e. the idea that <clears throat> human beings are made in the imago Dei, in the image of God, has been lost, of mm -hmm. course. So it's almost as if because of the erosion of this foundation, the drive for equality is stressed yeah. all the more. Well, that's that's it, exactly what Nietzsche. That's exactly what Nietzsche claimed would happen when he wrote. Well, when he's particularly in Beyond Good and Evil, he said that was that was an inevitable. That would be an inevitable consequence. Jordan is joined by a roundtable of big thinkers from different backgrounds who explore one of the most important books in the Bible. It is engrossing. All episodes of Exodus are now available exclusively for Daily Wire Plus members. If you have not seen it, start at the beginning because it's well worth your time. DailyWire.com slash subscribe to watch Exodus.
We are winning on the trans issue. And so any Republican who goes squishy, it not only has zero backbone and maybe is missing some other anatomical features as far as I'm concerned, but also just has no idea what time it is, does not, does not have any clear perception of where politics is in this country. Look at what's going on at Target. Look at tar- the Target CEO had recently come out to defend the Pride Month displays, which include bathing suits meant for tucking, women's bathing suits meant for men so that they could tuck the features that are male so they could look more like women, even though there are bathing suits already that are fine for men to tuck. They're called men's bathing suits. Target CEO defends the LGBTQ plus friendly displays for little kids even. And he says that these products are not only good for business, they're the right thing for society. The right thing for society. Target CEO, Brian Cornell. Okay. Target needs the Bud Light treatment. Nobody expected that this Bud Light boycott would be as successful as it is. Bud Light has lost more than $15 billion in market cap. This has been going on for so much longer than anybody thought it would. No one expected it. Target needs that too. Sometimes it's very difficult to launch a boycott. Certain companies really have dominance and it's hard to do it. But, but other companies, even when they have the premier product in the category, Bud Light was the most popular beer in America, other companies are susceptible to boycotting. Bud Light obviously was. Target obviously is. There are other options to Target. There's Walmart. There is Costco. I assume Jeremy's going to have his own gigantic superstore pretty soon too. Jer- Come visit Jeremy's 20,000 foot retail shop. There are options. It's too bad. I like Target well enough. I don't love it, but they've got a decent selection of Spindrift. I'm a millennial. I like flavored seltzer. Okay, I'm going to have to give that up. That's a sacrifice that I'm going to have to make. In other generations, people have been asked to make sacrifices like get on a ship and go over to Normandy and be strafed on the beach. Okay, we're being asked to make the sacrifice of, hey, maybe drive a little bit further across town. Hey, maybe you're going to have to pick up your cup of coffee before you get into the shop instead of in the shop, like Target has the little coffee shops. Hey, maybe you're going to have to trade out your Target card for a Walmart card. Okay, Target is doubling down on pushing kids into radical sexual ideologies and transing people. Can't let them get away with that. If Target right now is, is actually following the Bud Light playbook almost to a T, which is they're doubling down on the radical sex ideology. Then they're kind of backing away a little bit, but then they're doubling down again. They need that BL treatment, baby. We got to think bigger. We've got to expand our imagination. One of the Republicans who's doing this right now, Jim Banks. Jim Banks is doing a phenomenal job because Jim Banks wants to enshrine maybe my favorite executive order from President Trump, and that would be the Make Federal Buildings Beautiful Again executive order. There are going to be some people some utilitarian economists, sophisters, and calculators out there who look at this, they say, with all the problems we have in this country, you're going to focus on making buildings beautiful again? Yes. We got immigration problems. We got abortion. We got trans and the kids. We got World War III. You're going to focus on making buildings beautiful? Yes, you have to. 
Conservatives are pretty good at talking about the difference between true and false. Conservatives are getting better at talking about the difference between good and evil. We got to move on to that third transcendental, beauty. We need to be able to identify the difference between beauty and ugliness. A civilization that has beautiful buildings, that is in a beautiful place, is going to have higher spirits. It's going to see the truth more clearly. It's going to behave in a more civilized way. It's going to be a better civilization by almost any measure. A civilization that lives like rats, that's going to be a civilization that's going to behave like rats, okay? Sometimes the ugly buildings are a symptom of a corrupted culture, but also those ugly buildings will further corrupt the culture. You can't neatly separate those things. Sometimes people say politics is downstream of culture. You could also say culture is downstream of politics. You can't neatly separate these things, okay? And this fight, this beautifying Federal Civic Architecture Act, if signed into law, would mandate that, quote, classical architecture and the historic humanistic architecture, including Gothic, Romanesque, Pueblo Revival, Spanish colonial, and other Mediterranean styles of architecture historically rooted in various regions of America, be preferred for new federal office design. So this is a better law even than the Trump executive order in that it's more specific on which kinds of architectural styles are appropriate for different parts of the country and the different geographies in which they're situated. It's a little more, more precise. This is great. And the other reason that this is really important is that this kind of a law is going to highlight a major split on the right. And it's not only going to highlight that split on the right because you've got some of the Republicans who are the, just the business Republicans, just the money Republicans. They're the Republicans who, there are sophisters, economists, and calculators, to quote Edmund Burke. They're the ones who don't really pay attention to the deeper things in life. They just, they just want to make some money. And then you've got the cultural conservatives, the social conservatives, the traditional conservatives who realize that life is about more than money. But it even gets down to the question of what kind of architecture do we want? This, is, this gets to a fundamental split on the right because it's the plot of the Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. <laughs> the, the plot of the Fountainhead by Ayn Rand is that the bad guys want there to be classical, beautiful architecture in the city. And the ostensible hero of the story, Howard Rourke, wants ugly, modernist architecture. And oddly enough, some conservatives, at least in the 1980s, really liked Ayn Rand. They were very pro-Ayn Rand, even though Ayn Rand is a modernist, materialist, atheist writer. Because she didn't like the communists, the right embraced her to some degree. That's going to be a split. What do we want? There was always schizophrenia. For the past 30 years, there's been schizophrenia on the right at Republican fundraisers, which is the first part of the speech would say, we need to preserve traditional values. We need to preserve the historic American nation. We need to conserve the family. We need to build up those institutions that have served us well for hundreds of years. And we need creative destruction. We need to tear everything down. We need to innovate. We need modernity. We need the future. We need, we need to tear up the past. Forget that old stupid past. We're going to build gigantic skyscrapers and rocket ships. Okay. There's a little contradiction there. I'm not saying we need to freeze ourselves in amber. That's not possible. But as we move inevitably into the future, are we going to do so by preserving what is best in our civilization? Are we going to do so with humility? Are we going to do so with caution, slowing down a little bit, evolution, not revolution? Or are we going to adopt the perspective that is essentially the perspective of the liberals and say, ah, yeah, that old stuff, that's dumb, that's bad. Who needs all that? Forget, we're in the new age. Steel, glass, big, giant, flat, modernist buildings. That's what we want. Which is it? There, there has been a split on the right. 
And Jim Banks is right and Ayn Rand is wrong and we should totally defend beauty because there are eternal principles of beauty. Ayn Rand's argument in The Fountainhead is that circumstances are the chief uh, determinants of what is beautiful. So Gothic architecture or uh, classical architecture, that, that won't look good in the modern age because today we've, we're, we're more adept at working with steel and metal. And because we're in modernity, we've just got to build big, boring, ugly skyscrapers or something like that. And we just have to. It, it's, a, it's a very progressive idea of beauty. But the conservative, the traditional idea of beauty is, no, that some things are just beautiful. Some things are just beautiful and some things aren't. And try as you might, you can try for years and years and years to make mutilation and uh, minimalism and degradation. You can try to make that beautiful, but it, it never will be beautiful because beauty is not merely in the eye of the beholder, but it's an objective reality that we can perceive and that we can reason about and we can deduce things about and we, we can know, okay? Very different perspectives. All of that contained in this one little bill about federal buildings from Jim Banks. But he gets it, and the rest of the right should too. There are good signs on this front, okay? Bills like the Make Buildings Beautiful Again Act, these are the subtle aspects of politics. It's not the big headline shiny lights, immigration bad, cut taxes, win the war. It's not like that. It's a little bit more subtle. But the way that the left has overtaken our culture has been in a subtle way. The way that the serpent in the Garden of Eden fooled Adam and Eve, it was in a subtle way. It was the subtle creature. And that's what the libs do. Conservatives are finally waking up to that. What's probably the subtlest way that the libs have been able to overtake our culture? By taking over education. Because for a long time, conservatives didn't really think of education as a political fight. Said, oh, you know, who cares? Those woke snowflakes, Wait until they get into the real world. It won't matter what happened in schools. Well, what happened? They, this woke snowflakes got into the real world. They changed the real world, of course, because a, a classroom is like a crystal ball. And if a student is raised from K through 12, now people go to preschool, and now they go to pre-preschool. So let's say from age three through age, not just 18, but then into college, which people increasingly were going to, and then maybe master's degrees, and then maybe PhDs. You get all that time for the libs to form the mind and the soul of America's youth. People are going to end up huge libs. They're not even going to be aware of it. This is how the so-called conservatives have ended up so liberal and adopted so many liberal premises totally unawares because they've just been steeped in that, like a tea bag in a, in a pot of hot water for 20 years of their lives. So there's some good news on this front, which is that college enrollment is down. College enrollment is down again, even three years after the lockdowns that really gave a sucker punch to college in America. Public four-year institutions saw a 0.8% enrollment decline as of the spring of 2023. 2022, that decline was 1.2%. It's a lot bigger than the decline 0.3% in 2021, 0.2% in 2020. So for years now, you're seeing a pretty steady decline. Private four-year colleges, witnessed a 1.0% decrease in 2023, following 1.2%, following 0.4%, following 0.6%. So college is slowly but surely decreasing. This is a great thing. 
Not everybody needs to go to college. Not everybody should go to college. The insistence that everybody has to go to the exact same kind of college and education has led to a dramatic decline in the standards within those colleges, such that even the students who are a little more inclined to go to college can't get the college education that they previously could. So it benefits absolutely nobody. It harms society as a whole. Now we're turning that around. The libs waged what what they called a long march through the institutions. This is a long march through the institutions to take over the colleges and the universities especially, but also lower education and also the nonprofit education, all the rest of it. They did that for decades and decades and decades, and they transformed education in the United States. What conservatives can do now is lead a long march out. (laughs) Or a long march, not just out. We're not just fleeing from something. We have a long march to build new institutions. There are conservative colleges that have been built up. Thinking of places like Hillsdale, thinking of places like Ave Maria, Franciscan Liberty. Thinking of these, Thomas Aquinas College, these these institutions that, some of which are, are relatively new, at least in their present iterations. And they say, hey, Maybe you want to go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton, but those places aren't what they used to be. Come over here. You'll get a real classical education, a liberal education, properly liberal, meaning to help you make sense of your freedom. Come on over here. My friend Spencer Clavin has pointed out, he says, he thinks that we will get to a point in society where wise people will recognize a Hillsdale education as being more impressive than a Harvard education. And every year since he made that prediction, it seems to be more and more true. That's what we've got to do. That's what the Daily Wire is about. We're building a new institution. We don't need to put up with stupid Hollywood. We don't need to put up with the corporate establishment news media. Even the right-wing establishment news media are left-wing. They embrace radical leftist ideology. They embrace transgenderism, for goodness sakes. We don't need to put up with that. Our argument is, if you build it, they will come. We're not beholden to Bud Light anymore. We're not beholden to Target anymore. We're not beholden to Harvard anymore. We're not beholden to any of it. That's our bet, and and certain people are putting a lot of money down on that, and it seems like it is paying off. It seems like people are leaving those old institutions. Where are they going to go? They're going to go somewhere. Why can't they come to the places that we are building? You know, this Monday, we are releasing a new episode of Yes or No. Speaking of our political order, it will feature former White House press secretary, no, not Jen Psaki, the one and only Sean Spicer. It was great sitting down to discuss very spicy topics with Mr. Spicer. Check out this teaser. White hate is now more widely accepted than the 2020 election results. Oh, this is a gimme. Oh, that's, (laughs) hold on, I mean. This is an episode you are not going to want to miss. Also, while Yes or No is fun to watch, it's even more fun to play. Yes or No, the game is available for pre-order over at dailywire.com slash shop. You're going to say, Michael, pre-order? I thought it was available to order. Yes, it was. And I told you it was going to sell out instantly, and it did. And then it was available for pre-order again. We ordered many thousands more copies of it. And I said, you got to get it in now because it's going to sell out. And then it did. So we're getting it back. We're going to order many, many thousands of more copies of it. And you know what's going to happen? I bet it's going to sell out again. So make sure you get your pre-order in right now. Do not regret missing it again. Dailywire.com slash shop. 
Bring the fun home. Host your very own spectacle of titillating topics. Head on over to my YouTube channel on Monday to wind down from your Memorial Day festivities. Go to dailywire.com slash shop to secure your game today. My favorite comment yesterday is from Jim Lubke. says, if God doesn't smite America this Pride Month, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And that's a quote apparently from my pal Seamus Coughlin. Yes, uh, that's a fair point. Even in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, what people are doing to children now, what people are stating about objective reality and human nature, they weren't going that far. Fair point from Mr. Coughlin. Okay, and on that very topic, I didn't think I would see this day. Rosie O'Donnell has become a voice of reason on the gender madness. Tell me that her stuffed animals were non-binary. I'm like, here we go. Here we go. And I said, okay, well, what does that mean? She goes, they don't feel like a boy and they don't feel like a girl. I said, well, that's fantastic. Do you know what's funny is that I'm a girl who people used to call a tomboy because I liked all the boy stuff when I was little. And you know what's weird? Mm. I still do really like the boy stuff. I like football. I like riding a motorcycle. I like to do a lot of stuff that boys traditionally like to do. But you know what else? Never was confused about thinking if I was a boy or a girl. Always knew I was a girl and loved being a girl. So you can be a girl and feel any way you want, or you can figure out what it what it is. And I'm like rambling and rambling. And she said, are you done? Are you done? This was Rosie O'Donnell's daughter was saying, I don't know if I feel like a girl or a boy. And Rosie making this point saying, you can be a girl and still like the boy stuff. Of course, had Rosie O'Donnell been a child today, depending on her parents and her community, they almost certainly would have tried to trans her. But she says, no, I'm not a boy. I'm a girl. I'm a girl who has a sexual desire for other girls. I'm a girl who likes to ride motorcycles. I'm a girl who likes to watch football. But I'm a girl because you can't change that. And even the people who think that you can change that, that if, if you're a girl but you like football, you're a boy and you need to chop your body up, they know that they're not identical with boys. Even the really pro-trans people, they know that there's a difference. They know that they're, in some ways, at least, they're like the sex that they appear to be and are. So Rosie is just giving a different perspective here. And Rosie is more right than most people on this issue. It's not even quite so simple as Rosie is making it, though. There's some people who are saying, being a girl is purely about biology. X chromosomes in a uterus. And then there are other people who are saying, being a girl has nothing to do with biology. It has to do with whether you have pretty dresses and Barbie dolls. And there are the first group of people, they'll say, no, actually, it has nothing to do with whether you like Barbie dolls. You can not like Barbie dolls, or you can wear blue jeans, you can be a girl. And neither side is totally right. I, I was at the TPUSA pastors conference yesterday. I'm not a, I am not a pastor, but I was speaking to a group of, of pastors there. And a young woman came up to me and she said, Michael, what is a woman? We never seem to get an answer to that. It's a, it's a great question and the liberals can't answer it, but we, we don't really seem to get a precise answer on the right either. Sometimes people will say, oh, it's a, a, an adult female. Okay, sure, but what does that mean? And sometimes people will say X chromosomes, but okay, what does that mean? And sometimes people will say the Barbie dolls and the dresses, and so what is it? 
And one answer that I like to give is that a woman is sugar, spice, and everything nice. I think that's much more precise than any of the other answers that people give. Being a girl is, is about a lot of different things. And where Rosie goes a little bit wrong, actually, is she says, you can like whatever you want and do whatever you want and still be a girl. Well, yeah, maybe. But actually, if you're a girl, you are called to do certain things. You actually do have certain, a certain kind of purpose. You actually do have certain behaviors that are implied by your biology, by yourself. And I know that's not popular to say these days, but it's true. And if you're a man, you have certain obligations and duties too, and you can act like a man. A woman is not just her body. A woman is at least her body, but she's not just her body. There's more to being a woman than that. So Rosie's on the right track, but there's more to say. Now, speaking as we must and as we, as we will for the next I was going to say 30 days. It's probably going to be the next 30 years about transgenderism. Another company has gone super duper gay. Not just Bud Light, not just Ford, not just, what was the company? What was the earlier company today? Target. Even that very finest, most cherished brand of suburban white girls in the mid-2000s, North Face, has gone trans. Hi, it's me, Patagonia, a real-life homosexual. And today, I'm here with the North Face. We are here to invite you to come out in nature with us. Wow, this is nice. We like to call this little tour the Summer of Pride. This tour has everything. Hiking, community, art, lesbians, lesbians making art. Last year, we gay saw shade across the nation and celebrated pride across the nation with hundreds of you across the nation. This year, we're back, back, back again with two new stops. Atlanta, GA. Why? Because you're there. In Salt Lake City, we're coming for you. Patty, can we go? Of course. This year, all these fabulous speakers will be coming from inside this TV to a nature near you. So come outside and celebrate the beautiful LGHG TV community. That's pretty gay. So there's no way this is real, is it? This can't be real. The fact that I don't know, I guess, tells you a lot about where our culture is. This is a very highly produced ad, though. And the guy who's dressed up like a girl, he has a mustache. I love that last line there. It gets to what we're talking about with Jim Banks. He says, we got to celebrate this beautiful this beautiful community. And this is what animates so much of the LGBT activism is a, an inversion of beauty. That it's not, it's not really about a man dressing up like a woman. And it's not really like a woman dressing up like a man. It's about people who have, every person has some beauty to them because we're made in the image and likeness of God. It's about people taking whatever beauty that they have in them that they could cultivate, that they could accentuate, that they could simply allow to exist, and trying to suppress that and to distort that and to pervert that. That's what it's about. It's about highlighting the, the most grotesque images that, that one possibly can. We've been talking about porn a lot this week because I did that interview with the uh, porn expert. And this is one of the characteristics of pornography, 
is that it just becomes more and more grotesque to the point that something doesn't even appear like pornography. I, had, I was forced by my producers to do a video of ASMR, which involved people like eating foods and making disgusting sounds. And there's a pornographic aspect to all that, even though it's, it's so perverse that it, it's hard to even see how it in any way could relate to sensuality. But that's what happens. That's, that's what happens with grotesquerie. And we're, we're living in a culture that is highlighting the grotesque, that calls a urinal on a wall or on a floor a work of art, that calls the, the, the most intentionally revolting things beautiful and, and does so in order to force us to lie and to sever our, our relationship, to sever the tether that we have to reality and to the truth, to deny that such an objective thing could exist at all. I, I've never owned a North Face. I didn't have enough money growing up in the suburbs. I was not a white girl. I remain uh, not a white girl. Tip of the iceberg. It's going to be so many brands this year. We'll see if any of them hold back now that they recognize that conservatives are actually willing to fight them on it, to stop giving them their money. Pride Month 2023 will be a very important test of our political order, probably more so even than the 2024 presidential primary. Okay, today is... Trailer Thursday. Is it? I don't know. We got to come up with some better names. Ben Davies tells me that the Padre Pio movie that had been teased some months ago with Shia LaBeouf, who apparently converted to Catholicism during the process of portraying this character because of the traditional Latin mass. Well, apparently the movie got distribution. The trailer is out. I have not seen it yet, so we'll take a look at that in the member block. The rest of the show continues now. You do not want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.